Amen. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Awesome. Uh, love to worship together. I'm so excited for this morning. Uh, we have an amazing speaker here with us. His name's John Burns. He's the president of Greater Europe Mission that we call GEM. And uh, Matt Doan and I had a chance to meet John when we went out. We actually went to France uh, for this conference and, and like an unveiling of their new vision with him as this new president of Greater Europe Mission. And it was uh, this, this great opportunity to see the way that God is working across Europe and the incredible need of Europe that you don't really realize. Like, I don't know if you know, when we were there in France, they were celebrating because they went from half of 1% evangelical Christian, and they'd made it to 1% of the nation was evangelical Christian. And they were, like, that was exciting because God was starting to move, but man, that is a place that needs Jesus in a big way. And so we were able to hear and learn from some different people and some awesome things that were happening. But one story I wanted to tell uh, just as we prepare for John to come was just the story this guy named Bill told, and he is a missionary in Paris. And you kind of think Paris, right? Like, this amazing, beautiful place of food and culture and all these things. And you just, it, it's a vacation spot. But this guy, Bill, came from the projects of Philadelphia where he grew up. And he went to go serve in the projects of Paris. Not the places you go on your tour, okay? He's, he's serving in other spots that you don't normally see. But this guy, he took his whole family and they lived there. And, and what he said, uh, a big thing they do is just go and talk to people. And what he likes to do is he'll take uh, somebody that's, that's new to their team or new to the area. And they'll say, all right, let's just go and start a conversation with somebody in one of these apartment buildings in this rough crime-filled, uh, poverty-stricken area. And so they'll go in, and he says, we'll go up to this uh, building, and, you know, we, we don't really know how we're going to get in because it's like a gate code sort of a thing to get in. And so sometimes somebody lets them in. Sometimes he says they'll just pray, and they'll pray, and God will, the Holy Spirit of God will just help give them a number, and they'll type it in, and they just get in. It works, you know? It's amazing to see how this kind of ministry is just God moving and supporting. But he says, so what we do is we go in, and, and what we do is we, we look for, we listen for the room in the apartment building that has the most yelling and chaos and sound coming out of it. And he's like, that's the door we're going to knock on. And sort of the new guy's like, wait, really? You know, kind of wide-eyed and freaking out. And so they go up, and he said this one time they went, and they knocked on this door that just had all this noise coming out of it and the door opens and it's just this lady holding a baby and she's just chain smoking and just blowing the smoke in their face and there's dogs barking and there's kids running around and it's all crazy and he's asked like if they could come in and talk to her and so the lady I don't know how they talk their way in but they come in and and as they come in it's just it's wild and it's noisy and there's more kids and these animals are all over the place and there's a a pot kind of bubbling over on the stovetop and and everything's just like wild and she tells him to sit down on this just broken down couch and she's still smoking and blowing the smoke in their face and and, and he sits down on this couch and he, he says as he sat down on this couch there, there comes like a snout kind of sticking up from between the cushions and kind of snarling and growling he's not sure what animal it was but he kind of pushes it down as he sits down in the the couch and and he gets there and she's so she's across from him and blowing the smoke and he he's like okay and he begins to talk to her about how he came from the projects and he says that in all of that chaos he met mentions the name Jesus, and everything went still. That the chaos was still, that, the, that all of that noise and all of that distraction was quieted. 
And he's able in that moment then to, to talk to her about his story, how he met Christ in the projects of Philly, and now he's here to share with her in the projects of Paris about who this Jesus is. And he invites her uh, and her family to this meal at their, at their church, after their church service. Not to the church service, but to the meal afterwards. And she comes, and they meet people, and then eventually she comes to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and her family, and she was baptized and is involved, and it's just like this amazing story of God at work, and that's happening all over the place in Europe. And, you know, in the midst of that, it's just like glamorous Paris ministry, you know, and and that's kind of this thing that we have to understand when we think about Europe. Sometimes we can get a little bit confused of what's really going on over there and the need, and I'm so excited for you to hear This story of a passionate leader of a ministry with passionate people. So let's give a huge, uh, passionate round of applause for John Burns. Good morning. I left uh, Denver yesterday in 25 degrees. Landed here in 75 degrees. I think you lot live in the right place. Um, Matt didn't mention I'm from England, so if you need a translator, it'll kind of come up, subtitles on the bottom of the screen. Um, <clears throat> it'll actually be really difficult because not only is, have I got a voice that speaks English and you hear American, you're going to have to work hard, also you can hear my voice is a bit of a mess. So I value prayers, At the end of this month I'm getting some surgery on my vocal cords, and I've learnt that it's voice. Is that right? Voice. I was watching you earlier, Voice. I like harmony. Was that harmony? Harmony, I like that. Voice harmony, I learned two things today. <clears throat> um, so I, I'm from England. I've been in America three years. I was in Dallas for two years. And I've been in Denver for the last year, which has just been the wildest winter because I've been out ski loads, right? Anybody ski here? Wave at me. Mam- I met a guy in the first service. He's 82 and he skis at Mammoth. And just to give you some hope, when you get to 80, it's free. It's free at Mammoth at 80. Now, I, w- I was only asking the Lord for 70, but now I'm asking till 80. But I've got this crazy friend who was with me in Breckenridge last weekend, and he's got one of these apps that's like a speedometer. You know what I mean? So you go as fast as you dare, you get the bottom, and you're like, now we'll have to go up again. So we did this crazy weekend of trying to set a new speed record. And, uh, and of course, my wife and this other guy are like, this is ridiculous. It's not worth the risk. You know, what could happen if you catch an edge or follow it? I'm like, no, no, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. I want to talk about whether it's worth the risk today. I want to talk about what God's doing in this world and how he invites us to get engaged with him, but perhaps some of the things we might have to overcome, our own fears. Um, If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. I love the story of Nehemiah. I love the example on leadership it is. But what I love about the story of Nehemiah is it starts with heartbreak. So let me explain the context before we read. So you'll, you'll know that um, Jerusalem was kind of invaded and sacked and, and sacked again. And the, people, the Jewish people were taken into exile, mainly in Babylonia. And this is probably about 65 years later. So Nehemiah wasn't born in Israel. He's been brought up in captivity. And, uh, and probably over that time... Some of the uh, Jews had escaped, or some people had been left behind, had kind of tried to rebuild the temple a bit, um, but the walls were broken down and it was easily reattacked. And that you read about that in Ezra. 
And so what you've got is this guy called Nehemiah living in Babylon, desperate for the homeland. It's not his homeland, it's his people's homeland, right? And, um, and that's where we pick up the passage. Nehemiah <clears throat> chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came from, with certain men from Judea. I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province, in the province who had survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayers of your servant. And we have this wonderful prayer, uh, this intercessory prayer, as he pleads for his nation. But um, we can read this and miss the emotion of it, right? So, you know, there's some words that jump out at me there, like, um, I wept, and I mourned for days, and I fasted and prayed. I wonder when the last time you had your heart broken by the Lord. Maybe you were looking out for some news, maybe to do with your family, or somewhere that's special to you, and you, you see the news and it breaks your heart. Maybe you drive through LA regularly and you see homeless people or drug addicts or, or maybe you've got a neighbor who's going through a marriage crisis or whatever, something that just hits you. It's meant to, by the way. If you don't have those experiences very often, you need to ask the Lord to soften you a bit because the Lord wants to show us his heart for people and places. He wants to break our hearts. And what you see in Nehemiah is before anything else happens, God drives him to his knees. But the interesting thing is, the Lord, when he drives us to our knees, rarely keeps us there. You read at the very end of his prayer, if we pick it up in verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Da, 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 plot thickens. Because probably his boss, the king, Artaxerxes of Babylon, probably was the guy that gave permission to the latest raiding party to burn the walls down and re-attacked the uh, Jerusalem center. So, so the guy is waiting for news. He gets news, it breaks his heart, and every day he's got to go and serve the guy that caused the problem, right? Isn't it amazing how when God breaks our heart, drives us to our knees, he starts to raise us up to risky action. Turn with me to chapter 2. We'll read those first few verses. <clears throat> in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, you've got to know that the wine, the cupbearer to the king, was the most trusted position in the government, right? So not only did he, was the last person to take wine before the king, so the king knew that he wasn't poisoned, it actually meant he was the most trusted man in the government. Verse 2. And the king said, sorry, 
I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence before. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing as you're not sick? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, then will you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it? Can you feel the courage in this? This King Artaxerxes wasn't known for his compassionate charity, right? He, he killed people at a whim. You don't turn up sad to the king. And certainly when he asks you why you're sad, you don't tell him, well, it's because of you. You've smashed my country up, you've destroyed the walls, and you've left me heartbroken, boss. Right? The courage. I'll tell you now, that courage wouldn't have happened if he hadn't have had his heart broken and driven to his knees. Without the mourning, the fasting, and the prayer, he hadn't got the courage to stand up and look that guy in the eye, tell him the truth. I had uh, my own little version of this. Um, I'd started a soccer charity, and we, we were going to take some football fans out to work in South Africa in 2010. So in, 20, in 2006, I started reading like mad about South Africa. And I read about this place called the Valley of a Thousand Hills. And it was the world's epicenter of the AIDS epidemic. And I thought, that's where we're going to go. So we, we went in 2007, my first trip. And... Uh, I'd done all my research, God had broken my heart on it, I was praying, imagining all these kids that were dropping dead. My first day there, I go and visit a mass grave. 5,000 children buried in a mass grave, people who didn't even know who they were, right? I met a football coach, soccer coach, sorry, and uh, I know you do it differently. They, I met a soccer coach, although you do it pretty well here, you do a bit of both. The, uh, I met this soccer coach who said to me, it's very hard managing a boys' team when only a third of them are going to make it to 18. 68% of the village we were working in was AIDS affected. On my second day there, by some work of God, I get invited to the Zulu King's enthronement ceremony. And there's me, the only white guy. I've got a BBC camera crew I was doing some work with and 25,000 Zulus, right? And it was unbelievable. You know, the tribal outfits, the aggression this ceremony for eight hours. And at the end of it, I go to meet the king and there's the local chief, the mayor of Durban and the king. And um, we get talking and we take me into a little room and one of the guys says, you know, what do you think of Zulu culture? I'm like, oh, it's amazing. The vibrancy, you know, it's amazing. And then one of them says, what about our culture needs to change to stop the spread of AIDS? And if I'm honest, I said, uh, I don't feel qualified to answer that question. <laughs> and the king said, well, you're here, so speak. The king, I knew, had eight or nine wives and about 18 mistresses. So I know where the problem is here. And, and I also knew from my study that, um, that Zulus blamed you lot, the Americans, for AIDS. They think you developed it as a biological weapon to keep black people down. It's what they used to teach in the schools in Zulu culture just 15 years ago. So I, I felt like Nehemiah. I shot a prayer up to heaven. I'm like, God, give me the words. 
And I, I basically said to him, I believe in aggression, but I believe in fighting for change. I love sex, but I believe it should be with one woman for the rest of your life. And I think your culture needs to change drastically. And, and I remember thinking, and these were the last words of John Burns. <laughs> Amazing. And I know for me, God hadn't broke my heart for about 18 months about the AIDS crisis. If I hadn't met the day before a soccer coach whose kids were going to die, if I hadn't stood, I, I remember making this film stood on a mass grave, thinking, God, what's going on here? Without that kind of heartbreak, I'm not going to confront the Zulu king about his sexual habits. <laughs> what about you? What's God breaking your heart for? It happened to me again recently. Um... September 2014, when the refugee crisis hit. I'd moved over to America. I was living in Dallas. I was running this soccer charity. And this happens, you know, boat after boat after boat land in Lesvos in Athens. And it broke my heart. You know, I remember watching this image of a, of a mother throwing her baby over a fence on the Macedonia border. Like, how desperate have you got to be? You know, this isn't terrorist infiltration. This is a mother with a baby throwing it over a fence in Macedonia. I remember watching the TV, crying my eyes out. God, why am I here? Why am I in America? It's sat in Dallas, in leafy little suburb I was in, when the center of what you're doing is here in Europe. God broke my heart for it. And the only answer I could come to was I'm meant to send people to Europe. So I joined GEM. GEM's a 70-year-old organization. You wonderfully support a few of our missionaries. We started in the late 40s. Our founder actually landed on the beaches of France with uh, the American invasion and um, to liberate Europe. And uh, he went to serve soldiers and he got his leg blown up, woke up in a French hospital and realized nobody knew God. In fact, he used to walk down the village where he was recovering and even the priest had lost his faith. He had to lead a priest back to Christ. And, and the turmoil at the end of the Second World War, the desperateness in Europe was a platform for the gospel. And I believe we live in exactly the same days now. And so we have missionaries in 25 countries, 320 missionaries. You support a few of them. You're about to meet some others in a little bit. But Europe's in a terrible state. You know, you've probably watched like I have the last 18 months, attacks in Paris and Brussels and Nice and Berlin and then recently in London. And so there's fear. There's fear in Europe. At the same time, economically, it's been a mess for about seven or eight years. I was in Spain three weeks ago. Something like 42% of men in their 20s are unemployed. Imagine what that does to a nation. You know, politically, we're in turmoil. You know, England voted Brexit, whatever you think about that, started this whole shift away to break up the EU, mainly because of immigration. And there's a shift to the right going on all over Europe, which for our history in Europe is very worrying. What is going on in Europe? Do you know, often when we use the word opportunity, I think God thinks, sorry, crisis. When we use the word crisis, I think God thinks opportunity. Throughout history, you see that moves of God happen at the most desperate of times. And I, I'm here to tell you today, we are seeing a move of God in Europe, particularly amongst Muslims. You know, I went, I went back to my home church in a little, little town in the north of England. 
When they sent me out to, to be a full-time Christian worker, we had one flag on the wall. It was the English flag. Everybody was white. Everybody was from that town. You know, I go back 30-odd years later, and the pastor tells me that he has personally led 60 Iranians to Christ and baptized them this year. There they all were, all these Iranians in the church. Loads of flags, because it's changed. Like every town in Europe, it's totally multicultural. They hadn't done 60 baptisms in a year for 20 years or more. Probably since Billy Graham came in 84, right? And now all these Iranians, like 60 in a year, tiny little town. Everywhere I go in Europe, Muslims are getting saved. Everywhere, I promise you. We've got a, we've got a guy who's a church planter in Frankfurt. Well, he was a Bible college lecturer, and he used to lecture in church planting, but he'd never actually done it. Anyway, nine years ago, he has a heart attack. And in a vain hope of last breath, he says to the Lord, if you let me live, I'll actually start doing what I've talked about. Well, guess what? He lives. So for the last eight years, he's planted a church a year in Frankfurt, Germany. And I went to visit these churches last Easter. Unbelievable, multicultural, monocultural church, he calls it. And it's like being at the UN. There's like loads of people in booths at the back and everyone's got headphones on and people from all over the world 50% of each of his eight churches are converted Muslims. Unbelievable. The girl, 24-year-old girl, gets up with a guitar. First verse is in German. Second verse is in Farsi. Next verse is in English. Next verse is in Spanish. By the way, French is the best language to worship in, just in case you want to know. German, German sounds horrible, but French sounds beautiful. I think when we get to heaven, it'll all be in French, just tell you. And... And let's hope the wine and cheese is from there as well. But anyway, the, you know, the, this church from nowhere, church after church after church, eight years in Frankfurt. We've got staff working in Lesvos, that little island where the boats come crashing. And uh, they, I don't know whether you know this, but loads of Muslims are becoming Christians through visions of Jesus, the man in white. So we teach all our people that go and do short-term trips. Whenever you talk, they all speak good English. Whenever you're speaking to a Syrian or anyone, just ask them, have you had a dream about the man in white? And about 25, 30% have. And then, and then they say, oh, yes. Oh, well, can I tell you about him? Honestly, it's that easy. Right? Hey, a friend of mine was speaking at a, a conference last year, and there was two or 300 Iranian pastors in the church. And in this conference, he said, if you met Jesus in a dream, can you stand up? Everybody in the room stood up. And he went, you know that we're the only people that have met Jesus like this. When you meet Westerners, don't like hold it over them because they've never met Jesus like this. You know, we all think the way we meet Jesus is how everyone should. <laughs> it's going on all over the place. We had a guy on the island who, who'd learnt this, you know, have you ever met the man in white? He's driving the minibus up and we picked up 12 people out of one of these little boats. We're driving them up and uh, this lad, young lad staring at him. Oh, Have you had a dream about the man in white? No. I had a dream about you last night. And a voice told me that you would help me. And now it leads this boy to Christ. Unbelievable stuff happening. Unbelievable stuff happening all over. We've just written a book with a girl, one of our missionaries, Jazz. She was in the stadium in Paris when the bomb went off 16 months ago. And and poor girl, she... She went into a shell. She didn't dare leave her flat for a few weeks. She'd been working with Muslim girls, and she was like, how do I work with those that are trying to kill me? You know, and she, she started reading our founder's story all over again, and it re-inspired her 
to go out with courage because it was worth the risk. And uh, so we've just released the book. Why don't you watch this little trailer? Is it worth it? I wonder if the risk is just too great. So much beauty. It's so much terror. All this culture, such amazing churches. It's so much emptiness. Europe grows more bankrupt every year in the spiritual realm. Desperate people and desperate situations. So many lost people. Men can see no reason why they should concern themselves beyond the world of the senses. Immigration and tension. The old Europe and the new. Fear grips this continent. Will I ever get over that night? Between 9 and 10 p.m. on Friday evening, November 13th, several separate attacks terrorized Paris. Initially, two bombs were detonated at the Stade de France, where France was hosting a friendly football match with Germany. Minutes later, terrorists opened fire on a large crowd that were enjoying a concert at the Bataclan venue. Many were killed. French President Francois Hollande describes the attacks as, quote, an act of war. All of Europe is on high alert. But Jesus sent me here. When God calls, he always equips. The tide is turning, the spirit is moving. I believe it and we see it. The Holy Spirit is bringing to Christ a swiftly increasing number of Europeans from all walks of life. Europe is being reached. Disciples are being multiplied. Churches are growing and being planted. But the calling always has a cost. I am Jazz Jones. It's worth the risk. <clears throat> Just as I wrap up, let me do two things. First of all, can I thank you as a church? You know, this church has been committed to world mission for a long time. I looked at your Hall of Fame, you know, a little thing going on with all missionary names. It's wonderful, the commitment of this church. But I would love you to dream about the next generation, not just read the list of the last ones, right? We've got to push harder than ever. And push into Europe with me. Come on a vision trip with us if you like. We've got loads going on this year. You can find it on our website. But can I ask you to do three things? First of all, pray. We're asking everybody we meet to set an alarm on their phone for 10 or 2. You can do morning or even, you could even do both. 10 or 2 because of Luke 10 uh, verse 2, where Jesus asks people to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers in the vineyard. We need more workers. I believe God's called me to double gem in the next seven years. And we need people to come to Europe because there's something going on right now. We don't know how long it's going to last. There's a window of opportunity. And I hope you know that Europe is the most unreached continent on the planet. Okay? Asia, Africa, South America are seeing enough growth going on. It's almost a tipping point. Europe is the most unreached continent in the world. 
So pray. Pray for workers. Why don't you give? Give to workers. You're going to meet some in a minute. Keep giving to your church's mission pot to support those that believe it's worth the risk and go. But what about you? Why don't you go? Why don't you come on a short-term trip with your church or with us? Or why don't you actually go and do a, a summer or a season? We had, we've had a couple just signed up recently. They're 65. And they've said, well, come and give you five years because we've got the time and the money. Come. Some of you have been thinking about mission for years. Some of you already have a country in mind. It might be Europe. It might be somewhere else. Go. Just go. It will change your life forever. So pray. Go give. See what the Lord's doing. Dive in. Get involved. Can I pray that for us now? Let's pray. Lord, whether it's for people around the block or people around the world, we want you to touch our emotions with the things that bother you. Lord, would you break our heart and drive us to our knees for people and situations and circumstances and places. And Lord, in doing that, will you lift us up to take risks for those that desperately need you. And we ask that in your precious name. Amen. That's awesome. Uh, just love to be able to hear about what uh, God is doing around the world, especially here today with what's going on uh, in Europe. And I hope that you are inspired. Uh, I'd like to invite up uh, a family, a couple that are heading out to Europe as gem missionaries. So let's uh, welcome up Peter and Jennifer Johnalite. Come on up. Yeah. And as they come, I do want to just encourage you. I do that 1002 prayer thing. Do it. Set that alarm on your phone. Do it. Let's pray for God to send workers like the Johnalites for the harvest. So welcome to you guys. Uh, good to see you. Thank you. Um, hey, just uh, let us know just a little bit about, you know, what's going on with you. This isn't your first rodeo. You've been missionaries and you've been here and then you're going out. Like, what were you doing before? Before missions? Well, uh, no, no, before oh, yeah. right now. So okay. missions oh, before, sorry. Oh, yeah, when we were missionaries the first time, we were with an agency called Proclaim International, and we were living in Germany and working in the Balkans. And so I was an itinerant evangelist working in uh, Macedonia, Albania, Kosovo, Serbia, that kind of region in there. And so we were there seven years, had three kids there, and we've been back for about five years, and uh, now finally get to go out again. Okay, awesome. Now, so you had three kids while you are there. You got, uh, I think you kind of doubled that up, right? We did. We okay. got three, bo three boys here and three girls there. So okay, we're yeah. the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just what's it like, you know, with family and, you know, like how, how does that work? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jennifer? <laughs> well, <laughs> the kids' ages are 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and 11. Sometimes they shine for Jesus more brightly than I do, so we're really glad to have them along for the journey. Awesome, yeah, awesome ministry that you have with your kids as well. Uh, so tell us, how did you first get in contact? What was your first connection with Jim? Yeah, when I was in Talbot Seminary, I uh, did a couple of short-term trips with Greater Missions, the EuroCorps at the time. And so uh, that was my first exposure to missions and to Jim. And so when we were looking to go back, uh, we checked out Jim and it just seemed like a really good fit. So we uh, connected really well with the team in the U.K. And so that's where we're going to be headed. 
Okay, so you're heading to the UK. Where in the UK are you going, and what's your ministry going to look like while you're there? Yeah, well, we were there last year, and they had this map. They had a meeting, and there was a map of all the places where there were um, gym missionaries around the UK. And, and so I was asking Andy, I said, how come there's no one in this area? And he says, well, you know, there's just no one there yet, and, and there's about 1% believers in that area. So I said, well, that's where I want to go. And so that's where we're headed, uh, down southwest near, near Bristol. Actually, it's the county of Devon. And so I'll be there uh, working with church planning and then uh, also I, uh, doing some evangelism there. And it's an area where there's, uh, there's just not many churches. There's whole towns where there's no, no churches at all. So there might be buildings, you said, there, right? There's church buildings that are now schools and things like that. But yeah. there's, there's just whole pockets. There's nothing at all. So that's kind of the vision of, of this one key church there. And so we're going to be supporting them and doing whatever they want us to do. So, yeah. It's great. We are very excited for you to be heading back out and really feel like you can be living out that calling that God has placed on your life. And uh, so, yeah, it's a blessing. So we want to pray for them just here in a second. But even, you know, as we do, uh, it's kind of cool. We're going to see just after we pray a little video from another couple uh, gem missionaries that are part of Calvary Church. Uh, Chris and Susan Tweedy. Uh, Chris is the CFO for Jam as a whole, and he lives in Condern, Germany, uh, with his family. And so we're excited for what they are doing and just the way that God is reaching Europe through through this agency, but through our church. And so just encourage you to take a step, to take that step of commitment. So let's pray. Let's pray now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful and grateful for the calling that you have placed on the John Light family. Lord, and I pray that every day you would remind them of that calling and how they are serving you, Lord, that uh, as they go and as they establish themselves uh, in that southern part of the UK, Lord, I pray that ministry would flourish, God, that you would care for their family, that you provide them with everything that they need, Lord, and that you would be preparing hearts now to hear about you. Lord, that when, when they go and when they talk to people, Lord, that hearts would be softened by your Holy Spirit and that people would come to know you, Lord Jesus. May there be great fruit through them and through the many others uh, that are serving across Europe, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, you guys. Hi, Calvary. Chris Tweedy here. Just wanted to give you an update on our ministry and our family here in Europe. Thanks for all your prayers and support. Our family is doing well. Um, you may even actually be wondering why missionaries are even needed in Europe. And you may not know that less than 2% of Europeans have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons we're here. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this is not working. So one of, the, one of our key ministry elements is, yeah... Take two. Hi, Calvary. Chris and Susan here again. We wanted to briefly introduce you to our girls. I'm Savannah, and I'm 12. I'm Ashley, and I'm 10. I'm Sierra, and I'm 8. And this is Callie, and she is named after our beloved California. Bye. 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 Uh, one of the areas that Greater Mission has become very involved in is the refugee ministry. And I know you've probably heard a lot about refugees in the news there. Um, the refugee crisis is affecting Europe to even a greater degree, as you can imagine. 
For so long, we've heard about the 1040 window and about how the people in this area of the world are desperate for the love of Jesus. And these countries are often very hard to get into. And now we find ourselves with this opportunity where they are literally flooding across the borders and we have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them. Uh, we need more workers. And so every day at 10.02 in the morning, we've actually, all across our mission, set our alarms for 10.02 to remind us of the prayer of Jesus from Luke 10.2, where he asks for more workers. I just wanted to read it to you. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I'm excited that you actually get to hear from John, our president, this weekend. And we look forward to being back with Calvary the next time we're there. And until then, bye. Bye. Hi, Calvary. Chris Tweedy here. Just wanted to give you. <laughs> what an honor it is for us to partner with so many incredible people around the world. I want to invite you now to make this personal. You've heard some challenging words, some encouraging words, maybe even had your mind opened up to what Europe really is all about and the, the opportunity that we have to reach so many people. But now I want to make it personal. So grab your bulletin, your booklet, and pull out two cards. One looks like this. It's a commitment card. Hold this in your right hand. And there's also the faith promise card. And if you will put this in your left hand. Hold both cards. Take a look at them with me. Last weekend, over 200 people said yes to faith promise. That they would join this program to say, hey, above and beyond what we normally give to Calvary Church, week in and week out, by faith, God, we feel like you're calling us to give to what you want to do around the world through the missions program at Calvary Church. And I want to invite you in this moment to join that. Look at this card. Pray through it for a moment. God, what's a number that you'd have me give? Above and beyond what you've asked me to do here at Calvary, what are you calling me to? I invite you to take a pen in the seat rack in front of you and just fill this out for a moment. This is for all of us, not just a select few. Whether it's a big number or a small number, you are called to be part of what God's doing around the world. So you can fill this out and in a moment we'll pass offering. And you can tear off the bottom piece and, and just drop it into the offering as it goes by you. Some of you, though, may want to wait. You may want to put this in your Bible or put it on your refrigerator, somewhere where you'll remember it. And over the next week, you just want to pray through, God, give me a number. How would you call me by faith to step out above my, my comfort zone and give to what you're doing? You can bring it even next week if you'd like. So as you hold this in your left hand, just prayerfully say, God, use me. And then in your right hand is this commitment card, and there's a bunch of ways to get involved. Beyond this morning. Some of you, as John's been talking, as you've met the Johnalites, heard from the Tweeties, which I hope you saw the BBC um, original sketch on that, so that makes a lot more sense. But uh, maybe you're the next one. You can mark this on the card today, and we'd love to have a conversation with you. You want to be an insider into our missions program, hear specifically how you can pray and, and get involved with Calvary Partners, this would be a great card to fill out. And again, you can just drop it in in the offering as it passes in a moment. As you leave today, too, in the lobby, there'll be missionary partners of Calvary. 
We'd love to interact with you and just hear a little bit of your story and you can share and hear a little bit of theirs as well. And we have a prayer wall that you can say, God, I'm going to place this here and commit to pray for this spot in the world. And so this is personal. This isn't about someone else. This is about you and God and what he's calling you to do. And so with that in mind, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to move and work in our lives. Father, we've heard a great challenge this morning. Forgive us, Lord, for in the past when we've heard challenges and we've nodded our heads and then we've walked away with our lives never changing. Today, God, we place a stake in the ground and we say, break our hearts. And out of that broken heart, move us, Lord, towards what you're doing around the world. Lord, we want to be obedient to your calling. So help us not to be distracted and push this out. May we do business with you even in this beautiful, sacred moment. And may you move us to action. This is our prayer as a church and as people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.